Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning, CityWalk. How we doing? If you're watching online, good morning to you as well. I hope you've had a really good week so far, or actually a good week last week. Did you start to maybe almost think about breaking out a flannel yesterday, maybe a sweater? It was kind of started to feel a little bit like fall, and then we're going to be in the 90s again, but it's coming, it's coming. So, well, before we dive into a series that I think is going to be super helpful to all of us, uh, no matter kind of where you find yourself in relationships, uh, I wanted to tell you about some exciting news. And if you follow me on social media, you may have already seen uh, this information. But uh, when we started City Walk a few years ago, we're about two and a half years old now, we started with the mindset that we wanted to be a church that planted churches. Uh, we, we think that, man, in order to really reach specifically kind of from the Bay Area up through Northern California, it's, it's not going to take one church. It's going to take several neighborhood churches that are focused on reaching that neighborhood. And so we've been in the mix. Uh, you guys know we have a goal of planting or helping plant 10, 10 churches uh, by the end of 2025. And so we're steady working on that, beginning that process now. Uh, but uh, about three months ago, an organization called the Send Network, which we're a part of, uh, contacted us and said, you know what? We love what you guys have been doing during COVID. We, we love what's going on there at CityWalk. We love your vision for planting churches, and we want to help you guys with that. And so when, when, when you have a, a somebody that's going to be a planter that, that comes maybe to our area to train and spend some time with us, the biggest expense and really the hardest thing for them is finding affordable housing. So it's hard to have somebody, hey, hey, come spend a year or two with us and, and get some training, and then we're going to send you out to plant a church. Oh, by the way, your rent's going to be $2,200 a month, so God bless you. Uh, it, it, that's obviously tough. And you guys know we, we don't live in the cheapest area of the country. So bottom line is this organization said, in, to help you, here's what we're going to do. We're going to buy you guys a house. And so just this past week, we closed on this house absolutely 100%, not $1 came out of our church's bank account. And this house has been gifted to us to use to house church planters and help them prepare them to go plant churches. And so we are excited to, man, over the next few years to have couples, families come and spend some time with us. And literally it's going to cost us insurance on this house. That's what it's going to cost us. And so, man, can we get excited about God just doing something special? I mean, people don't just like buy houses for you often, but man, they actually did that. And so we're, we're excited about it. Um, well, over the last, uh, probably maybe the last maybe seven years, 
five, seven years, maybe 10 years. Uh, you guys know this. Social media has become a really big part of our life. I mean, if you remember back to the men old school, some of you guys, MySpace, there was one called Zanga, and then there was some Facebook, but you could only use Facebook if you were connected to a college. Well, man, I don't know how many years, probably eight, 10 years ago, that all changed. And now, man, social media is such a big part of our life. And because of that, man, we're bombarded with information 24-7. Like you could go right now onto Facebook or Instagram or you could go uh, different social media and you could, within like 30 seconds, be really depressed, really mad, really excited based on all the information that flows through your feed and through the people that you follow. And because there are people that believe that uh, you can change somebody's mind by winning an argument on social media, there's people like that, you probably, like me, look at your feed and you feel two things. You, it's comical, but it's also frustrating. You, you read through and you're, you're watching different conversations and you see different people that, they, man, they think that they're going to change somebody's mind by proving a point on social media. And sometimes you laugh at them and sometimes you're just frustrated. And maybe you're the type of person that, man, you like to duke it out on social media and that's you. Or maybe you're the type of person that laughs at the other people that duke it out on social media. But, but probably all of us know and we've all felt this kind of, no matter what you do with social media, we've all felt this, this kind of feeling. We've all looked at our feed and we've thought, how in the world can she think that way? Or, man, what is he doing saying that? Why is he, why is he trying to prove that? Does he really believe that? Or what are they promoting? And you're having this conversation in your own mind. And you, you, we, we all think this way, and here's why, because we believe our way of thinking is right. I mean, if we didn't, we would change. Like, I think the way I think is right. If I didn't, I'd think the way you thought, and, and vice versa. You think the way you think because you think your way of thinking on issues is right. And sometimes we struggle when we see people that are as passionate as we are about an opposing view. And so, man, we, we get a little frustrated because, man, we think our way is right. We think our view is right. And it's hard for us to fathom how someone could think differently. Yet when we, we kind of pull back the curtain, we see that one of the biggest factors for thinking the way we do is our context. And here's what I mean. The reason you and I think the way we do is probably in, in part because of the context we grew up in, but it's also the context that we live in right now. So for instance, if you grew up in Boston like Josh did, and you, you grew up in Boston and your family was diehard Boston Red Sox fans, guess what? You hate the Yankees. I mean, it, it's just like, that's just because of how you grew up, you, you love the Boston Red Sox, Man, if you love the Boston Red Sox, then you just automatically do not like the New York Yankees. If you're a college football fan and you're, you, you kind of grew up in the South and maybe even grew up in Alabama, you understand that if you're an Auburn fan, you hate Alabama. 
You hate the Crimson Tide. And, by, and, and, and hate, you think, that's a strong word, but I, I'm, I'm serious. There's people that really don't like the other. And, and it's just because of the context that you grew up in. And the, the context, the environment you grew up in is, is one of the biggest things that has impact on how you think. And one of the biggest areas that this shows up is in how we think about relationships, specifically marriage and dating relationships. How you see probably communication in marriage or in dating relationships, how you see intimacy, how you see the use of money, how you see conflict resolution, how you see, and man, you can fill in the blanks, has a lot to do with kind of what you saw, how you grew up, your context. And whether you're somebody that's a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're investigating faith, whether you're a single person, whether you're divorced, whether you're married, whether you ever had a good example of what a healthy relationship looked like growing up, here's what I know about you, and you know this about me. Every single one of us wants to have healthy relationships in our life. No matter how you grew up, no matter how, what, how much baggage you have because of past relationships, no matter if you had great examples or terrible examples of healthy relationships, no matter where you are as it relates to faith, you and I both want to have healthy relationships in our life. And so here's the, the big million-dollar question. How do I have healthy relationships? Like, like nobody's sitting out there or watching online saying, you know what, I... I just want to jack up a bunch of people's lives and have terrible relationships and scar people and, and really just mess up people's lives because of how I handle relationships. Nobody's thinking that. Every single one of us, man, we want to have healthy relationships. And so we ask ourselves this question, okay, how do I have healthy relationships? And probably almost automatically when we ask ourselves this question, we begin to think about what's. And here's what I mean. We begin to think about things we need to do. Like, okay, if I'm going to have a healthy relationship, here's what I need to do. And we, we think about things we need to do. Maybe you think about, hey, if we made a little bit more money, that, that's what, man, if I changed jobs and we made a little bit more money, I think that would help us have a healthy relationship. Uh, maybe, maybe you say, you know what, if we took a little more time off, we took some more vacations, we went a few more places, I, I think that would be the answer, that would be the key. Maybe you'd say, you know what, if we could maybe get a little bit, I think we need a little bit more God in our life. And so, if, man, if we maybe go to church a few more times and, and we just kind of connect with God a little bit more, I think that's probably the answer. I think our, our relationships will be healthy. If maybe, maybe if we could buy a house. You know, kind of settle down and, and kind, of, kind of get planted somewhere. Maybe that's the answer. But here's the problem. Whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, every single one of us know people that do all those things and don't have healthy relationships. Every single one of us knows people that, man, they went on some great vacations. They made some more money. They had a nice house. They even went to church once in a while, and yet their marriage or their dating relationships, they just weren't great. And so maybe it's because that, that question, how can I have healthy relationships, has nothing to do with a what, but everything to do with a who. 
Maybe we would say it this way. The health of my relationships is determined by who is at the center of them. Let me say that again. The health of my relationships is determined by who is at the center of them. To to begin to unpack this idea, I want to go back about 700 years before Jesus even walked the earth. There there was a guy in the Bible named Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was a a priest who began his 50-year ministry when he was like 20, between 20 and 25, so super young guy to be given the, the mantle of, uh, of a priest and to have the ministry that he was handed. And, and when God called him to do what he was called to do, he was not sure about it. He's like, God, I, I'm a little bit young for this. I don't know how I'm going to be taken by the people I'm going to talk to. And so God had to kind of reassure him that, hey, Jeremiah, you're my guy. You're, I'm going to give you what you need. And so in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. Do not be afraid of anyone. This is God talking to Jeremiah, because Jeremiah is like, I don't know about this whole thing, God. I know you called me to do something, but I, I, I just don't think I'm old enough. It says, do not be afraid of anyone, for I will be with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. Then the Lord reached out his hand, touched my mouth, and told me, I have now filled your mouth with my words. See, I have appointed you today over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and demolish, to build and plant. See, most of Jeremiah's ministry, and this is just a little bit of background, is, was honestly not really fun. In fact, Jeremiah, in, in kind of biblical history, he's known as the weeping prophet because he ministered for 50 years, but man, he, he had a rough go. And here's why he had a rough go. You know what Jeremiah's job was? His job was to basically tell the nation of Israel, hey, you've sinned, stop doing what you're doing, and by the way, God's going to judge you. Next day, hey guys, did you hear me? Hey, you've sinned, stop doing what you're doing. God's going to judge you. That was what his life was about. And so you can imagine that was your message for 50 years. You're not a really popular dude. And he wasn't. He wasn't a real popular guy. And so many had a rough go. And in Jeremiah chapter 2, God gives Jeremiah a very specific and unpopular message that he wants him to deliver to the nation of Israel. And in this message, we get a clear picture of what was at the foundation of all Israel's issues. And they had issues. They were super dysfunctional. And so Jeremiah, he has this message from God. And in this this message is the answer to really all of the issues. This is the reason, Israel, you have all your issues. And here's what's interesting. It's the same thing that is the cause of the unhealthiness in our relationships. It's the reason we argue about money consistently in our relationships. It's the reason people choose to look at porn instead of enjoying the gift of sex the way God intended it. It's the reason reason that we're selfish in our communication and don't handle conflict well. It's the reason we make excuses for our relationship issues. 
And what we're going to find as we look at this message is the health of my relationships is determined by who is at the center of them. And so here's what God does is he gives this message to Jeremiah. And he says, Jeremiah, I want you to to deliver this because this is the key to all the issues that Israel has. And so what God does in Jeremiah chapter 2 is he starts this message by reminding them, kind of taking them down memory lane to remind them of his faithfulness to them. It says this in Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 7. You can see it on the screen. God says this, hey, I brought you to a fertile land to eat its fruit and bounty. He's saying, hey, you guys remember for 400 years you were slaves in Israel, our slaves in Egypt? Remember how you couldn't help yourself? Remember how I led you out and I brought you to a land, I gave you a land of your own that you didn't deserve, that you didn't earn? Remember that? He says, but after you entered it, you defiled my land. You made my inheritance detestable. Basically, what God's saying is, hey, when I blessed you, when I gave you this land, when I brought you out of slavery, when I was faithful to you, you basically gave me the finger and then used the gift that I gave you to do things that break my heart with. God's just kind of bringing them down memory lane. And then he says this in verse 8, the priest quit asking, where is the Lord? The experts in the law no longer knew me, and the rulers rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and followed useless idols. Basically, I was no longer at the center of your life. You forgot me. And to illustrate it even more clearly, God says, hey, guys, we're going to pretend we're in court. And I'm going I'm to pretend we're in court, and I'm going to illustrate this by do it using a, a, this, a court case. And, and he says this, verse 11, Therefore I will bring a case against you again. This is the Lord's declaration. I will bring a case against your children's children. And so basically he's saying, hey, as if we're in court, I'm going to formally bring the charges against you, the issues. I'm going to tell you what's going on. And in verse 10 he says this, Cross over to the coast of Cyprus and take a look. Send someone to Cater and consider carefully. Here's what God's saying. I'm about to give you formal charges. I'm about to tell you what's the the crux of all the issues you have, Israel. I'm going to point that out to you really clearly. But before I do, I want you to look at the other nations around you. I want you to look at the other nations around you that that worship false gods. They worship gods that they made with their own hands. I want you to consider them. I want you to look at them. And then he says this. See if there has ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever exchanged its gods? But they were not gods. He's saying this. Look at the nations around you. Look at the godless nations. You see them? These godless nations that serve pagan gods would never in a million years think about turning their back on their gods. 
on their false gods. Even these pagan, evil, godless nations that literally worship gods that they made with their own hands, even those people would never ever turn their back on their God or try to exchange their God for another God. Even the pagans don't do that. But, but then he goes on. Yet my people have exchanged their glory for useless idols. See, see, my people have done something that even the godless nations around them would never even think to do. My people have exchanged the one true God who rescued them and gave them a land of their own for lifeless false gods. That's what my people have done. And and then he says this, be appalled at this heavens, be shocked and utterly desolated. This is the Lord's declaration. And so God's literally saying, hey, you have appalled the people in the heaven, like the, the, the universe is appalled by what you've done. You have shocked even the universe. We are speechless because of what you've done. You, you, you may have had moments like this where something happened to you and you were so appalled, you were so offended that you literally didn't have words to say. I remember when my son Austin Uh, who's now almost 20 years old. He was probably five, four or five years old. And it's when we lived in Florida. And we were at our church. And uh, I think it was right after church. We were getting ready to go home. And kind of walking towards us was a guy by the name of Dave Van Camp. And Dave had been kind of my mentor, kind of a spiritual mentor to me. Some of my closest friends, his wife and and Lori, were been close friends. They're about... 10, 12 years older than us. And so, they, man, they had just literally weekly been pouring into our lives. They were some of our best friends. We, we loved them. And, and so Dave, he, he gets down and he's just want to connect with Austin. And so he kind of gets down and Dave's not a super tall guy. And so he just didn't have to get far down. He's, hey, buddy. Hey, hey, Austin, how are you doing? And my son, Austin, just goes, pop, just pops him. Like, not like a love tap either. Well, like five years old, he, Dave's like, hey, how you doing, buddy? Bah! And I was, Dave was just like, and I didn't know what to say either. It's like, what is in my son? This is the same son that a few years earlier, and this may worry you, Jillian, you may want to be careful about this. Uh, this is my same son who in the car a few years earlier said to Lori, is, is God everywhere? Yeah, Austin, God's everywhere. Is God right here? Yes. Like, what's going on here? I know. Now you think badly of me. But, but when he did that today, man, it was so appalling, so offensive. If Austin would have been a lot bigger, Dave probably, and he should have probably just popped him, but he obviously didn't do that. But, but he was so just, I don't even know what to say. And this is in this, in this setting where God is saying, hey, what, what the nations have done, the godless nations, what they wouldn't even dare to do, they would not dare to exchange their God for, a fault, for another God. They would never turn their back on their God. But that's what my people have done. And it's appalling to the whole universe. It, it's just awful. 
And then here's verse 13, and this is the crux of the whole thing. He says this, my people have committed a double evil. Basically, you've done two things. First, they have abandoned me. They've turned their back on God. And then he says this, you've you've abandoned me the fountain of living water. You have turned your back on the unending source of life, joy, hope, wisdom. You have turned your back and you have abandoned that. But you didn't just abandon me, you replaced me. You did a second thing. You dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. Well, here's what a cistern is. This is we have a picture of one. A cistern was a, a large pit or a well that they would dig and they would seal it with plaster. And it, the purpose of it was to catch water so that when you know, there was not rain or when there was drought, there was always water available. And basically what Jeremiah is describing, he's describing a cistern where the plaster is cracked and it's no longer, it can no longer hold water anymore. Like it's a useless hole in the ground that, that all the water goes out of. And basically what he's saying is, hey, you have turned your back on the fountain of living water. You have turned your back on the source of life and joy and, and wisdom and hope. And you have replaced that with this cistern that is cracked that can't even hold water. You've replaced it with something that's worthless. See, the people of Israel moved God from the center of their life and tried to replace what only God could provide their own way. And this is the very reason we struggle in our relationships. We don't trust God. We don't believe His way is best. We don't believe He can provide for our deepest desires. So we foolishly put someone else at the center of our life and we look like a cosmic fool. When we turn our back on God, the source of all that is good, and go try to get some temporary fulfillment, trying to get water out of a dried up cistern. It's exactly what we do. It's exactly why we struggle in our relationships. It's exactly why. You look at porn instead of enjoying sex the way God wanted you to. It's, it's the reason why I struggle in my relationships. It's because we turn our back on putting Jesus at the center and his way being best. And we say, you know what? I'm not sure I trust that. I'm not sure he can do it the way I want him to do it. I, I think my ideas are better. And so I'm going to go this way. And we're sitting in a dried up cistern wondering where the water's at. Wondering why our relationships aren't healthy. Because the health of my relationship is determined by who is at the center of them. Which leads us to some personal questions. Who's at the center of how you communicate and handle conflict in your relationships? Whether you're online or you're here this morning, who's at the center of how you communicate, how you handle conflict in your relationships who's at the center of how you view sex another question 
Who's at the center of how you handle finances in your marriage or in your dating relationships? Like, who's at the center? No, no matter who you are, where you stand as it relates to faith, whether you're married, single, dating, the question of who is at the center of your relationship is big and it has the potential to impact you and the people you care about most long after you're gone, as it does me. Who's at the center of our relationships has huge ramifications today and long after we're gone. And it really, it really comes down to three choices. First choice is you, me. We can be at the center. We, we can place ourselves at the center. We can place ourselves at the center of how we communicate. We can place ourselves in at the center of how we view sex. We can place ourselves at the center of how we deal with finances. We can place ourselves at the center of how, how conflicts are resolved in our home. We, we can place ourselves at the center, and when we do, that is characterized by selfishness. James 3.16 says this, For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every, every evil practice. And every single one of us here, including me, struggle with this sometimes. We put ourselves at the center, and when we do that, we live a very selfish existence. I mean, for me, I struggle with this so much. I have, like, if you were to look at my phone right now, the, the front screen is not a picture of my family. It's a verse about selfishness, because I need to see that every day several times, because I struggle with selfishness. And I, I would guess you have at times put yourself in the center. And if we do, it's characterized by selfishness. But, but there's another choice, and it's other people. We can put other people at the center of our relationships. And when we do, it's kind of our life is characterized by fear. We're people-pleasing. And so, man, how we view different things in relationships, it, we, we view it because the way we do because we put other people in the center. And, and we almost feel good about that. Like, I'm not putting myself in the center. I'm putting someone else. And that almost sounds good. But the problem is, the fear of mankind is a snare, the Bible says. And, and so we do that. And, and again, every single one of us have done this. Every single one of us has put someone else at the center. And how we view something in a relationship is because of that person being at the center. Or the, there's a third option. And the third option is Jesus. We can put Jesus at the center of our relationships, and when we do, our life will be characterized by freedom. John 10.10 10 says it this way, A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come, this is Jesus speaking, I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Like, how would your life look different? If you're watching online, how would your life look different this week, just for one week? If Jesus was at the center of your most important relationships, instead of trying to do things your way, what if you trusted that his way is best and you put him at the center? 
Over the next three weeks, we're going to unpack how putting Jesus at the center can can affect our communication. It can affect our intimacy. It can affect how we handle finances and how Jesus being at the center is so important if we're going to have healthy relationships. Maybe you're here or you're watching online and you're not a follower of Jesus. And for you, you would say, you know what, Chris, I'm investigating faith. I'm not, not sure I totally buy into the whole Jesus thing, but I'm, I'm leaning in a little bit. I'm listening. Well, well here's what I, I hope you will do for the next few weeks. My, my hope for you is that you will take an honest look at Jesus and his ways as it relates to your life and relationships. That you would just take an honest look That you would lean in just enough to say, hey, man, if I was to put Jesus at the center of my life and my relationships, man, here's what it might look like. Because here's what I'm honestly pretty confident of. You may very well find that Jesus and his ways are the answer to your deepest desires in your life. The things that you, man, are striving for in your relationships, the things that you want so badly I really think that if you'll lean in, that you may just find that having Jesus at the center might be the answer. Maybe you're here or you're watching online and you would say, hey, Chris, I'm already a follower of Jesus. Like there's been a time in my life where I have come to the, to the truth that I, I knew I was a sinful person. I understood that Jesus died on the cross and he paid for that sin They put his body in a grave and he rose from the grave. And and there's been a time in my life where I have believed that and I've asked Jesus to come into my life and save and transform me. I've done that. I'm a follower of Jesus. And if that's you, would you be willing to just simply declare, Jesus, your way is best? Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing at the front end of this series on relationships, would you be willing to just declare on the front end of this series, hey, Jesus, your way is best. And for this next month, as we talk about these things, I'm going to put all these different areas on the table. I'm going to put how I handle conflict. I'm going to put intimacy. I'm going to put finances. I'm going to put all that stuff on the table. And I'm just going to declare ahead of time, your way is best. And I'm going to ask you to show me how that affects these areas. Would you be willing to do that? Literally saying, hey, whatever you show me, because your way is best, I'll do it. Or I'll stop doing it. Because at the end of the day, there's a bunch of people, and if we were to pass a microphone around, probably every single one of us could tell of times in our life where we had access to the fountain of living water. The source of life, hope, wisdom, everything. And we could all tell you of times we have turned our back on that source of life and thought, maybe there's a better way. Maybe my way's better. And we found ourselves sitting in a broken down cistern a few years later realizing we were wrong. And a lot of us, we have a, a first marriage to look back at. And, and we could say, yeah, that happened. 
We, we have a, a relationship or two that we look back on and we're not proud of it because, man, we, we, we know. We look back now in hindsight and we see, yes, we, we turned our back on, on what Jesus said and we kind of went our own way. And, man, it just didn't work out the way the enemy told me it would. And so the question for all of us as we close is this. Are you willing to just on the front end of this thing say, Jesus, your way's best. And all my relationships and all the areas of my relationship I'm putting on the table. And I want you to show me over this next month how you being at the center changes everything. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word and how we can look back at somebody that lived hundreds of years before you even came to earth and how we can be reminded of something so practical that every single one of us struggle with. Every single one of us struggle with believing the lie that our way might just be better than yours. And Lord, we we look back at our life and we have had tragic, hurtful, Things happen because we've made that decision. We've hurt people. We've been hurt by people. And God, I pray that over this next few weeks, as we delve in a little bit deeper to what it might look like to put you at the center of our relationships, Lord, I pray that you would speak clearly to us. I pray that you would point out in our lives areas where we are putting ourselves or other people at the center And God, I pray that we would be willing to turn from those and turn back to you. If you're here and you're maybe you're watching online or you're here this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, and you would say, hey, Chris, I'm kind of in that first group you talked to. I'm in that group that's kind of investigating faith. I'm not a follower of Jesus yet. But man, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm really ready. How would I do that? How would I just, on the front end of this series, how would I just be able to say, man, I'm all in with Jesus? Or would you be willing to, just in your heart, between you and God, would you be willing to admit to him that you're a sinner? That you've disobeyed God? Just tell him right in your heart. God, I I admit to you, I've disobeyed you. I've, I've tried to do things my way. If you're watching online, right where you're at, just tell God. Then in your heart, just tell God, man, I I believe that Jesus came. He died. He rose from the grave to pay for that sin, to pay for my sin. I believe that. Just tell God. Put it in your own words. And then just invite Jesus. Just Jesus, would you come into my life? Transform my life. I want a relationship with you. Just tell him. This morning, if you're watching online or you're here this morning and you've, you've made a decision, maybe it's a decision to follow Jesus. Right in front of you, you can reach out. There's a card that just says, my decision. You can fill that card out and on your way back, kind of on your way out, drop it in the offering basket. We'd love to know about the decision you made. Maybe you're somebody that's all, all, already a follower of Jesus and today the decision that you made was, hey, I'm just making the decision that Jesus, your way is best. And if you've made that decision today, if you've declared that, then 
you fill that out too and, and you just drop it in the offering basket on your way out. If you're watching online, you can go to citywalk.cc and there's a card there that you can fill out. We want to know about your decision as well. Lord, thank you for the direction that you give us. Thank you that we do not have to walk through relationships on our own, but you provide everything we need to have healthy relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.